and this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Do you feel as if you don't belong? Do you know you were meant for something more? Well, you were. Knowledge of who you are and where you really are from is within your reach. Join Janet Carolessen. Dr. Sasha Lesson as they search for the answers as they open up the Stargate to the cosmos. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Yeah, welcome to Stargate to the Cosmos on Revolution Radio, and I'm your host, Janet Carelesson, and my co-host is Dr. Sasha. Alex Lesson, and our producer is Thomas Becker. And our special guest today is Dr. Michael Sala. And as you know, Dr. Michael Sala is a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, the political study of the key actors, institutions, and processes associated with extraterrestrial life. And we are going to be talking about a couple of things here. There's a new 
article that uh, Dr. Sala has about uh, Bob Majestic producer reveals secret space program disclosure and document dumps imminent. So we'll talk about what that means. And Dr. Les and I are watching Bob Majestic, a new movie. Above Majestic Producer Reveals. Yeah, that's a, it's the same thing. So, we are going to be talking about those and many other things. And Dr. Listen, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Uh, just, uh, I think it's really interesting. Uh, there's a concept uh, in uh, thinking called Occam's Razor. Whatever um, set of integers, any thoughts or uh, numbers or words you can use, that can help you uh, sort of comprehend all the data, not leave out a lot of things, and leads you to predictions that you can then verify that you were right or not right, is the one to hang on to, but not hang on to it forever. And so Michael has brought us a long way uh, along the path of understanding what's going on. And uh, the the, uh, evidence that he uh, cites um, account for the data Pretty damn well. So, welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, welcome back. Very happy to be here. Well, thank you. And um, okay, so when did they begin production on this movie? And I know you're in it. And um, what is your role in this? I know you were talking to um, Tompkins before Bill Tompkins before he passed, and. that was what in uh, July of twenty. Let's see, this is 2017, correct? When Tompkins was at the Mufon conference, and you guys all started connecting and working together. Is this like? Um, was that something that prompted this, or was this in the works before that? This um, new movie, and then you have um, these uh, revelations. Go ahead. Uh, yes, uh, there were a set of interviews uh, that happened. Uh, at that MUFON conference, and uh, Bill Tompkins was uh, interviewed, as was I, as was uh, Bob Wood. And um, over time, uh, those interviews kind of like evolved into into this movie, and, you know, you had other people coming in, like, of of course, David Wilcock and uh, Jordan Sader, who did the interviews, um, you know, he was in it as well. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of like just evolved out of those early interviews um, that arose at that MUFOM conference, which was really the, the, the last major public event uh, that Bill Tompkins uh, attended because soon after that he, he died um, in an unexpected way. And, um, you know, he was quite advanced in years, but nevertheless, uh, it was full of shock because he seemed to be in such good health. And he was really looking forward to putting out new material. Uh, he's, uh, he was working on the second volume of, of his memoirs. Uh, so, yeah, he was uh, definitely planning to be around for some time and, and, and really just enjoying talking about you know, the things that he's seen. And, uh, of course, now uh, he's, he's gone. And so this, these interviews that were done at that uh, MUFON conference were kind of like a legacy, like the last opportunity for people to see uh, Bill Tompkins, and um, and so the, the movie evolved out of that. Yeah, I was there. I, I had the table right across from Bill, and I hung out with him and his, his lovely wife uh, for a while there. He did seem very healthy. There was one point where I had to help him and his wife get across the whole casino and hotel to the the panel because he was running late for the panel and 
and so I took his uh, wheelchair with his wife and then I looked over and we, we had to run because it was so far away and there he was 93 he was running and keeping up with me and so I would agree he was in um, very good health for 93 and I was shocked to hear of his death and I always wondered if it was foul play because of course anybody that dies in this uh, UFO field we think it's foul play but I, I don't know I just let that go but I was delighted that he you know everybody got to film him and that he's on this um, this video so what is the uh, premise of this if you could tell our listeners what this above majestic is about well uh, majestic the term itself uh, it relates to Operation Majestic, uh, which was the name of the program that was established in 1937 dealing with the whole extraterrestrial topic. And so um, any subject related to extraterrestrial life, UFOs, it came under that rubric of um, the Majestic program, the Majestic uh, documents is an example of you know, a set of documents that deal with this with this subject matter. So above majestic was was just really showing that we're talking about levels of classification. Uh, we're talking about uh, you know, majestic documents and the majestic projects. You know they had a particular set of uh, uh, classification mark, uh, markings. Uh, you know one uh, the, the first one actually that was used was uh, called magic. So originally, any any topic that dealt with extraterrestrial life at, at the very beginning uh, began with the term magic, uh, and and then that and then you had other terms coming in like ultra, uh, cosmic, uh, and and so you've had a whole set of additional terms. So above majestic is is just really referring to a, an even a deeper level of classification or a higher level of classification. Uh, which which really is kind of like a, a more deeply embedded or hidden set of compartmentalized programs dealing with these secret space programs. Because, you know, you might be cleared to know about, um, you know, recovered alien craft uh, that's being held at, the, at, you know, like at Area 51. But uh, just because you're cleared to know or have access to Area 51 and the S4 facility, doesn't mean you're going to have clearance to know about uh, these secret Navy uh, spacecraft that are kilometers long that operate in deep space. So Above Majestic really is kind of referring to that level of classification, which is even beyond uh, that very high level ascribed to extraterrestrial related projects. Mm -hmm. Sasha, we're going to go back and forth. Do you have a question or comment? Well, it's just it was apparent, it was apparent to me that uh, at that uh, Mofon conference that the establishment uh, wanted to shush Bill Tompkins out, uh, up, especially when he started to talk about the spiritual aspect of his work and the communication that he was getting from the Viril assistants. Uh, that was uh, uh, the uh, uh, information that he got um, telepathically that allowed him to solve many things. And he insisted, despite uh, all the efforts of uh, Mr. Dolan and, uh, and uh, the moderator to shush him up, he insisted on telling the truth that this all has a spiritual dimension. Uh, and I could just feel his goodness. 
Well, that's right. Yes, uh, Bill was uh, really uh, a kind of uh, you know one of those wise elders that had been around uh, you know since the 1940s. Uh, that had experience, uh, had grown up with all of this. He saw this. Actually, he was one of the people that was involved from the very beginning with the Los Angeles air raid when they first recovered extraterrestrial craft, and um, and then the Navy was at the in the thick of all of this. So. He was there from the beginning, one of the few uh, remaining kind of veterans uh, that was there to kind of oversee all of this. So, uh, you know, so he had plenty of time to kind of evolve and grow. And uh, yeah, at the at the end, just as you said, Sasha, I mean, he was bringing in a much more kind of spiritual uh, understanding of what was going on. Uh, you know, talking about the big picture. And, uh, yeah, I, I think there were people that were very uncomfortable with uh, Bill Tompkins, uh, with his testimony, and I think there were efforts to kind of, like, shut him down, um, which, um, you know, I, I really don't know. I have no evidence that his death, his death was uh, in any way contrived, but certainly, you know, I have my suspicions uh, because, uh, you know, he was very healthy uh, and he was full of zest and looking forward to, you know, talking more and revealing more about what was going on. So yeah, it really did take us all by surprise and kind of shut down uh, a voice uh, that had a lot of authority because uh, he did have a lot of documentation to support the things that he uh, knew. And he knew about the many companies that were involved at the foundation level with these uh, whole topics. So, um, yeah, he was a very important person. But you know, I'm quite quite happy to have met him on a number of occasions and to have worked closely with him. I in interviewed him uh, extensively uh, by phone as well as in person and on video. And uh, my second uh, secret space program book was basically was based on Bill's testimony. So. Um, you know, apart from Bill's own book, uh, selected by extraterrestrials, you know, I would definitely recommend my own book, the U.S. Navy's Secret Space Program, as really being uh, a way for people to really come to grips with, you know, the full extent of Bill Tompkins' uh, rich testimony and you know what it meant for for the planet. And I also want to. I want to go back to Bill, and I want to talk about what he was talking about about, about the um, uh, reptilians, because he started to uh, touch on that. But I want to. Do you know how far it goes, this goes back? We were talking to Cynthia Crawford, and she was saying how she was a clone. Her dad worked in a ship that was involved with the cloning project, and she was impregnated into, or she was put into her mother's womb, actually outside of the womb, alongside her sister, so she was a twin. And uh, she was a hybrid that they implanted into the mother, and, and her father participated in this program. But one of the things she said was her father was a clone as well, and we figured out that her father was a, a contemporary of my father and Sasha's father, and our, our fathers were all born in 1920. So how far can we go back with this modern secret um, space program? Because that, that puts it back to the early 1900s, in 1920. But I think a lot of the people are saying about the um, what happened in World War II, which is uh, 39 or 40s. But what are you finding? How far back does this go? 
Okay, well, um, you know, when we're talking about the secret space programs, uh, I'd like to begin uh, with the uh, Maria Orsic and the Rural Society, the Rural Society, because that's the first documented case we have of mm -hmm. um, an attempt to build anti-gravity spacecraft, and and these were uh, these evolved into the real craft, and I suspect uh, very strongly that the 1933 crash of a UFO in northern Italy involved a real craft. Uh, and, and so then you had the Italians becoming very interested in the flying sort of phenomenon and uh, Giuliano uh, Marconi was, uh, was brought in to that. So uh, definitely I would say uh, the early 1920s with the Real Society, uh, the Fool Society in Germany, um, that was when they you know, began building secret spacecraft or at least getting the instructions for how to build these craft. And, and then by the 30s, the Germans you know, made a lot of advances. Um, Hitler came, came on the scene. And, and then in 1942, you had the Los Angeles Air Raid. And, and that was by no means the beginning of the secret space program. What I think it was, was basically um, an intervention by Nordic extraterrestrials, and this is something Bill Tompkins emphasized as well. It was an intervention by Nordic extraterrestrials to kind of like wake up the US military industrial complex to let them know that you know, the planet was being visited by advanced extraterrestrials, that the Germans uh, had basically gone far ahead in understanding these technologies and that the U.S. better start catching up because if they don't, uh, they're going to have big problems in the future. So I think it was a big wake-up call and um, you know, by the time the U.S. did wake up to the seriousness and uh, the kind of impact of these advanced technologies, uh, you know, Germans had already established their Antarctic facilities and, and had come within a whisker of weaponizing their craft uh, for the war effort. You know, if the war had lasted another six months, you probably would have had a different outcome. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's because the, the, the Germans were so close to successfully weaponizing their flying saucer craft for the war effort. But, you know, that didn't happen. Uh, but nevertheless, by the time Admiral Byrd and the US Navy got down to Antarctica, at the end of 1946, beginning in 1947, the Germans were ready for them. So you're saying this 1933 crash? What I what I've learned from interviewing a lot of people, and, and I this is just a theory, but a hypothesis that there really are no crashes. That they these are like intervention. They they're intentionally delivered so that we would start to be aware of these extraterrestrials and perhaps start reverse engineering um it's so i don't know i think that there's a an element of truth in that um so i'm looking online here so mussolini apparently the ufo milan i'll have to research this 1933 crash what makes them think it's a crash just because it fell to the ground or i, I don't right. have the details behind that sure well there were actually documents uh these were 
documents, uh, um, uh, official documents uh, from the uh, government at the time, which was the fascist government of Benito Mussolini, uh, which was reporting on the crash in uh, Moderno, uh, which is kind of, uh, you know, somewhere near Milan, um, in Italy, and basically described uh, the recovery of a flying saucer. And then it described the creation of a committee that would uh, investigate this uh, phenomenon. And Giuliano Marconi was appointed to head up this committee. Um, and the reason Marconi was asked to head up this committee was, of course, you know, because he was the founder of uh, radio uh, waves and a very famous inventor. Uh, but probably the main uh, reason he was chosen was because he actually, through wireless radio, uh, began communicating with extraterrestrials. He was, along with Nikola Tesla, the first person uh, that actually began communicating with extraterrestrials. So Mussolini uh, chose him uh, to head up this committee. So, you know, you have these documents which have been authenticated as genuine national uh, documents, Italian documents, uh, that actually dealt with the Italians' recovery of a replying saucer in 1933 and the creation of a committee headed by Malconi um, to basically investigate this phenomenon. And interestingly, uh, how the documents say how Mussolini was very concerned about making sure that none of this information was shared with the Vatican. I think Mussolini uh, oh. wanted to kind of use it as a bargaining chip with the Vatican. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was a very important part of this. So was Mussolini communicating with the same extraterrestrials that Tesla was? Any idea? Uh, that I don't know exactly uh, who, whose craft it was. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned, it, it may have been... Um, a craft belonging to the Real Society. Um, it, it may have been um, a genuine extraterrestrial craft, um, in which case, uh, you know, this was probably an effort uh, to kind of like get the Italians to, to start going down this effort, a, a positive group. Um, you know, and we can speculate here because I think uh, it's worth understanding that uh, uh, Marconi uh, was was very much a, a humanitarian or a philanthropist. Uh, he was uh, someone that uh, that really tried to uh, help humanity advance. And I, I think he was uh, someone that was not very impressed with the the fascist policies of uh, of, of Mussolini, especially uh, with the alliance with Germany. Um, I, I think um, as Italy started to go down the path of aligning itself more and more with Germany, I think he was very, very upset with that. And so in 1937, he faced his death. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that believe that this is what happened, that Mussolini, that, sorry, that uh, Marconi faced his death. And I think, you know, if, if that's what happened, and I think it, it did happen, uh, then we could say that probably the 1933 crash basically was an intervention by a positive group of extraterrestrials that were in communication with Marconi that basically landed a craft and said, here you are, you know, work with this craft. And, mm -hmm. um, and Marconi began working with that craft 
um, you know, with the support of uh, uh, Mussolini and the Italian government. Um, and then by 1937, um, Marconi realized what was going to happen with the fascists aligning with the Nazis. And so he faced his death and basically took everything with him to South America. And that's where he set up this uh, civilian space program featuring scientists in the jungles of, of South America. You know, where exactly, I'm not sure, could, could have been Colombia, could have been Venezuela, Ecuador, any of those countries. And, you know, there are people that have you know, put forth these rumours. But, you know, this is one of those, and, and Bill Thompson's actually did say, um, again, Bill was a wealth of information. He said that the Italians in that early period had a massive secret space program. So I, I think from the time uh, Marconi began uh, his communications with the positive extraterrestrials, uh, when they got that craft, up until 1937 when he faced his death, you know, that's when the Italians built up this massive program. And Marconi basically took a lot with him to South America. And then what survived in Italy um, basically uh, carried over um, into into the Second World War with the Alliance, with the Germans, where the Germans and the Italians were trying to weaponize these flying saucer craft. You know, and that's been documented. Uh, people like Giuseppe Belluzzo, um, a high-level official within the Italian bureaucracy and within the Italian Senate, actually has confirmed that, yes, um, Italy and Germany did collaborate on developing flying saucer prototypes for the war effort. So that's documented. Excellent. Sasha, your turn. Yeah, I have some uh, questions about, uh, in the uh, film part that I, I did watch, um, it, it was said, like, Eisenhower, first of all, brought the, these Nazis and Nazi sympathizers, Alan Dulles, uh, uh, to run the CIA, and John Foster Dulles, a secretary of state, uh, these pro-Nazi dudes that brought in people by paperclip. And then toward the end of his uh, tenure, I, when Ike said, I want to see what you got on the alien thing, and he was denied access, in the, in the, uh, Corey Good says he was willing to invade the restricted areas using the U.S. Army. Me, uh, he would not be put off anymore. That was an amazing uh, uh, revelation. Uh, and I just don't understand how Ike went for these Nazis after fighting the whole World War II. Again, um, uh, could you elucidate that some? Sure. Well, that's actually a very important part of uh, American history. Uh, why did the Eisenhower administration choose to reach these agreements with the Germans and basically allowed the, uh, the Germans to infiltrate the uh, U.S. military industrial complex through all of these uh, paperclip scientists. And, uh, uh, you know, there were thousands of them brought in from Germany and they were put into very senior positions. You know, we're not just talking about German scientists coming in to basically... Uh, you know, give Americans uh, a hand in understanding you know, the B-2 rockets and some of the other advanced German aerospace programs because the United States had its own very um, kind of talented rocket scientists, you know, Robert Goddard, for example, and many others that understood these principles. But these Germans were put into leadership positions, you know, basically, they, you know, running NASA and so forth. 
so, you know, what was really going on, and, you know, I think when we look at it closely, what we see is that agreements had been reached uh, between the Eisenhower administration and the Germans in Antarctica uh, because the Germans began doing overflights of the United States as early as 1947. Uh, this dates back to uh, o Operation Hijack and to Admiral Byrd basically uh, you know, taking a naval task force down to uh, Antarctica and basically suffering a heavy defeat by the Germans down there. And then uh, on his way back to the United States, he said that uh, the United States needs to be prepared for a new enemy that can fly from pole to pole. And so he was talking about the Germans. And, and so the Germans began doing overflights of, of the US and because they had successfully weaponized their flying saucers, uh, the most advanced U.S. Uh, jet craft of the time, you know, didn't have a chance against these Nazi flying saucers, so they were being shot down. You know, this is one of the things that's been covered up. Uh, that from you know, from 1947 uh, right up until the uh, early 1950s, there were many many cases where uh, these German and, and extraterrestrial craft, you know, because they were both flying over the U.S. territory and U.S. jets were sent up to intercept them and shoot them down. And when they did try to shoot them down, the, you know, the German or the extraterrestrial craft would respond and shoot down the uh, American craft. So you know, that happened on many occasions. So by the time President Eisenhower gets elected, he decided that it was best to make a deal with the Germans because um, you know, there was no way that the U.S. military was going to kind of bridge the gap, the technological gap with, with the Germans in Antarctica because they, they just become too advanced. I mean, the, the best example of this was the 1952 Washington overflights where you had the squadrons of uh, flying saucers going over Washington, D.C. on, on successive, successive weekends. And um, in July, nothing could touch them. So uh, basically it was decided that making a deal with the Germans was the best thing to try and help the US bridge the technological gap and understand the extraterrestrial technologies because you know the Germans have gotten help in understanding the extraterrestrial technologies because they made deals with the reptilians. Um, but the US, um, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't have a, a deal with any extraterrestrial group. And so they needed to understand the advanced technologies. Um, and yeah, they got their hands on some of these. Um, the grey craft, like in 1947, the Roswell craft. But um, they couldn't understand you know, the principles behind them. You know, they didn't understand the kind of like fiber optic uh, you know, communication system in the craft. They didn't understand the navigation or the propulsion. So they needed help in all of that. So they thought that through an agreement with the Germans, they would get it. They would get help, and that's what happened. So are are we basically like a conquered nation? What better way to conquer than just through administration? You know, we had what ten thousand uh, German scientists come in and come into high level positions, and then they had all their families. So you know, how many? Descendants of those original Germans are here 
in the United States in key positions. Is that what's really going on? We're kind of a colony of the Germans now? Uh, I'm getting this correctly. Was, uh, yes, it's, uh, I would say it was a, a, a covert takeover. So yeah. you, you, it, wasn't, it wasn't in any way over where the general public, you know, would, would be shocked to learn that, you know, there's Germans in charge of these things. But, you know, where, where the Germans were in charge, the public was just told that, oh, you know, these were really talented guys, that, oh, there's nothing wrong with Werner von Braun being in charge of the Marshall Space Flight Center. You know, that was basically running the Apollo program. Oh, there's nothing wrong with uh, Dr. Kurt Dubus, you know, running the uh, Kennedy Space Center that was basically launching the, the Gemini and the Apollo program. So the public was kind of hoodwinked into thinking that, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with these Germans running the, you know, premier space programs. But, but in fact, these were the kind of most overt signs that there had been a covert takeover that the Apollo program and the uh, Gemini programs were, were really covers for, for the German takeover. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's what happened. It was a, a kind of covert takeover. And uh, President Eisenhower kind of like resented that, um, that mm -hmm. he thought it would, uh, it would be something that, you know, that would be more of an equal relationship. But, you know, by 1958, um, after the agreements were reached, reached in the mid-50s, by 1958, uh, Eisenhower realized that uh, the, agreement, the agreements were not leading to the information being shared with the U.S. military and the presidency as he was persuaded. You know, what was basically happening was that the Germans were, were benefiting, um, you know, through the agreements and, uh, and, and so essentially Eisenhower threatened to invade Area 51, um, as, he, as he mentioned earlier, that this was a threat Eisenhower had to make in order to be given access to the information that, uh, that was being kept from him because the CIA was working with a major US corporations in basically hoarding this information and, and making less and less available to the U.S. military and to the U.S. presidency, because um, you know, in a in a high tech or in, in a kind of like industrialized, highly industrialized state, um, kind of information is power, and so those that control the information have the power. So if you restrict information, uh, then you basically are able to manipulate decisions and the policy making process. So Eisenhower knew this and he fought it and he enjoyed the temporary success, but it was short-lived because uh, after, after Kennedy came on the scene, then Kennedy was basically cut out of the loop altogether. And because Kennedy fought tooth and nail to be given access to this information, ultimately they decided, and he was talking about the Majestic 12 group and the Germans that they were working with, decided that Kennedy had to go. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I was uh, in the 80s, I worked at a motion picture lab, and they part of it was uh, these secret um, military <laughs> um, films, and they were working to preserve them. But while I was working there, there was a, a Nazi. He had been recruited from, I think it was Venezuela. And so he and his family were 
oh, he was like number two in this in this uh, motion picture lab, WRS Motion Picture Lab in Pittsburgh. And now looking back on it, it's like, oh my God, this is part of that paperclip. So there was that first generation that came right after um, World War II, but he was recruited. He came up in like 62, 63, and he was put in a lead position in a motion picture lab, which was making copies or preserving these films that were gathered, um, that were top secret. And so my my husband at the time, he uh, had some clearance to destroy some of them. Some of them had to be destroyed. So this is really weird. So that, that's that's just a personal note. I know this makes sense. But I, yeah, so the Nazis were here. And, all, and I kept wondering, why does this guy, a Nazi, have... Um, you know, such a high position in this this organization, but that's part of it. It kept going. It wasn't just the the original ten thousand families. It was uh, they kept bringing them in. So okay, so uh, Sash and I and you got a nice rooster. We got rid of our roosters. <laughs> For listeners out there, the Hawaiian Islands are just polluted with uh, chickens, and they they crow all day long. They have no uh, manners. They just crow when they want to. <laughs> One of the interesting things that uh, Donald Ware, uh, Colonel Ware and others have, have talked to me about uh, is the works of uh, Leach on uh, that there's more to the uh, uh, Antarctica or the inner earth story than, than Corey Good is as uh, uh, at least told us in the parts of the film that I've been able to look. But what's raised by all of this uh, uh, talk of other uh, groups like the Bodlanders and a whole series of organized societies in Inner Earth is that uh, the Nazis that were allowed to settle there have been allowed to settle there on the basis of they must live peaceably henceforth and that the children of the uh, 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 the German settlement uh, have been going to the European and uh, Australian, New Zealand, American universities, and even the grandchildren of those Nazis in the military-industrial uh, complex that have done some of those things include decent human beings who have evolved just as we all have, and that maybe it's not just that, the, that because people used to be uh, Germans and their grandfathers did terrible th things, maybe it ain't a bad thing. Maybe we can all live in peace and help each other. That's very interesting. I think that's um, something uh, that we really kind of need to clarify is that uh, I, I believe that there were essentially in Antarctica when the Germans uh, went there after or during the Second World War, you know, there were two major factions um, you know, amongst the Germans. One faction was uh, led by Maria Orsic and the Rural Society. So these, these were truly very much a, a peace-loving, um, wanting, very interested in cosmic uh, philosophy and kind of friend, friendly relations with uh, advanced extraterrestrial life. And I, I think that this is a group that probably uh, was welcomed by the inner Earth beings. The other German faction that went down to Antarctica, um, these were the ones that were kind of like, uh, had you know, very strong kind of Nazi ideals or, or kind of like um, uh, they, they kind of had very hegemonic masculine uh, value systems where 
it was about conquest, it was about the master race, it was about uh, making subservient peoples, um, kind of like uh, you know, exploiting them. And so you had slave labor in Antarctica. Um, and and that the, these, this particular group of Germans were being helped by a group of reptilian extraterrestrials um, to kind of like develop these uh, bases in Antarctica where they would go to the stars and, and, and basically exploit humans, you know, both on Earth and in deep space. So I, I think that uh, really when we're looking at the whole German question in Antarctica, um, you know, there was a positive faction that was working with the inner Earth group there and with, you know, positive extraterrestrial groups in doing really uh, wonderful things to uplift the planet. And then the other group uh, that was really doing dark stuff. Now, as a result of the agreements, uh, I, I think that um, you, you could have had both factions actually having their children you know, going to universities in the United States, in Australia, and Europe, and so forth, and um, and, and that, that way having kind of like you know a sharing of cultures and a kind of softening of that very hardcore imperialistic view that you know, maybe the, the Germans developed. You know, that had this kind of aggressive space program down in Antarctica. But as, as far as I know, um, the Germans continue to operate down there. Um, you know, according to Corey Good, uh, the, you know, that kind of imperialistic German program, he calls that the Dark Fleet. And uh, the Dark Fleet has been quarantined um, you know, from the rest of the solar, from the rest of the galaxy. And, and apparently, a lot of the major space assets of the Dark Fleet were caught outside of a quarantine that was first established by the Sphere Being Alliance and then taken over by the Galactic Federation. So that means that the groups that remain now uh, have been kind of like cut off from you know, their major kind of uh, assets or their major uh, forms of uh, space power and so they are now making deals, and so this was something that uh, Corey Good talked about uh, most recently. He had a, a set of meetings where he, he said that uh, he, he got to meet with uh, uh, groups uh, on the moon uh, associated with the Secret Space Program Alliance, where they were basically saying that uh, you know, there was deals that had been reached, that there was a consensus on how to disclose this information to the general public. Yeah, and we were we just finished the um, 2018 Stargate to the Cosmos Expo in Albuquerque, and we had a number of the secret space program people, various, some that were abducted and enlisted against their will, and some that were in command positions. Um, and we were talking to Randy Kramer, and he correlates... His information seems to correlate with that, that there are some agreements um, being reached as to how to reveal this information to humanity. And um, so tell us what Corey says. Um, what's going on from his perspective? Okay, right. Well, basically what's happened is that uh, this um, covert takeover of the planet that occurred during the Eisenhower administration had the high-level Germans uh, brought in to head up 
major corporations, to head up major institutions, not only in the United States, but also in Europe. And uh, over time, this has evolved into a control system uh, that was used by the Dark Fleet for basically recruiting uh, personnel and getting resources for their space program where they would deploy these battle groups in deep space to basically conquer other worlds. Um, and so this was a, a phenomenon that had been going on for decades. And of course, as I mentioned, uh, you had a blockade uh, that got, went into effect uh, around early 2015. And, uh, and, and so Corey Good has said that uh, essentially that, that cut off the dark fleet uh, from its ma major assets um, in deep space. Uh, and so those that were left behind on Earth and on other, in other places like Mars, you know, they've now reached a point where they're having to make deals with the Secret Space Program Alliance. And, and as they make deals, uh, you know, people are defecting, uh, people are kind of like uh, uh, revealing how the system was set up, uh, the, the kind of corruption uh, that uh, was enabling the dark fleet to be able to accumulate vast resources so that it could build its, uh, its uh, you know, huge space battle cruisers and space carriers in Antarctica and on Mars, uh, that this was all kind of coming off this international corruption that had been set up uh, using major institutions like the CIA, like the Mossad, like uh, MI6 and, uh, and so forth. But what Corey Good has said is, is that now is that the Dark Fleet, uh, they've reached the point where you know, the, the assets that had set up this international control system for you know, a covert takeover of the entire planet, that they have defected and they're now revealing you know, who was doing what, you know, all the human rights abuses, all of the corruption. And so uh, this is why President Trump in uh, December of 2017 issued that executive order basically declaring that a state of national emergency existed in the United States um, and that all the assets, all the financial assets of people involved in international corruption and human rights abuses would be confiscated around the world. So this is unprecedented and basically what that was the real intent behind that was to confiscate the assets of the, you know, what people call the dark big state, the cabal, the dark fleet, whatever name you want to give it, but that basically the white hats within the US military industrial complex working with white hats within Russia um, and within China, Brazil and other countries, that they are trying to basically clean up the international system. And so Corey uh, basically said that he just returned from a, a trip to the moon where he said that uh, uh, there has been uh, progress made in the uh, dark fleet assets turning uh, states witness, becoming witnesses for the prosecution of others that were involved in this international corruption system and that we are going to be witnessing uh, kind of document dumps very, very soon. And, uh, and, and this is uh, something that 
uh, is tied in with the whole kind of Q phenomenon because Q is kind of like you know setting up or has been talking a lot about uh, these uh, sealed indictments, you know, over sixty thousand sealed cases, and that uh, and when these get unsealed, that you're going to have uh, a lot of um, people being prosecuted, you know, who are going to reveal the truth, and a lot of documents are going to come out. So let's look at the cast of characters, uh, the players. Uh, so we're going back. A, you actually uh, had mentioned uh, you, uh, Corey Good was at a meeting with a fellow named Gonzalez, and that uh, Henry Kissinger was there, and that there was some argument between the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers about indemnity. Uh, could you sort of reflect a little on that for us? Uh, sure. Well, um, the most recent meeting, uh, Corey Good says that he was taken up to the moon uh, where he had meetings with uh, Sigmund and Gonzalez where they basically talked about, uh, you know, the, the dark fleet and, um, you know, its assets basically being caught and then, and then turning state's evidence and revealing you know, what's been going on because um, it's become clear to the dark fleet assets that, you know, this, this uh, solar system-wide quarantine uh, isn't going to lift soon, so there isn't going to be kind of reinforcements coming in. Uh, now, with, as far as Henry Kissinger is concerned, uh, you know, Corey has talked about meetings he had in 2015 and 2016 where he met with... Um, these kind of uh, uh, global elites, you know, dark fleet representatives, um, and, and where Henry Kissinger was involved in those meetings. And, and Henry Kissinger basically uh, was and is a spokesperson for the German uh, Draconian Alliance. So Henry, Henry Kissinger is uh, someone who is deeply compromised and, and Corey says that uh, he saw Kissinger at, at a meeting uh, involving these draconian uh, reptilians, and Henry Kissinger was there to kind of like, um, you know, uh, act, act as a kind of uh, an MC for that encounter. Uh, so, yeah, Kissinger is deeply involved in all of this. Now, exactly what is going to happen to Henry Kissinger? Is he going to be one of the people that's prosecuted? Um, I, I don't know, simply because you know Kissinger himself has been more a kind of uh, go-between, an intermediary. He's the guy that kind of like shovels between different presidents, different statesmen, different extraterrestrial groups, delivering messages and so forth. So he's he's been an intermediary. The the real power holders have been you know people like David Rockefeller, uh, you know the, the Rothschild family. Um, the, you know, these these are the ones that have been making the decisions, and of course, the the Germans that were part of the Dark Fleet. So I wanted to break wow. down the cast of characters. Can you hear me? I want to break down the cast of characters. We have about five minutes before we go to a break, because um, some of these are human, some of these are extraterrestrial. Like the real girls, they were telepathic. Were they human? That were enhanced, or were they? extraterrestrials and if so what species where did the where did the dracos come into this were they there uh, with the ships in the 40s or did they come later are they part of the, the dracos part of the reptilians that went underground during 
previous passes where it wasn't safe and there's a there's a indigenous uh, reptilian species that's underground and then there's a uh, extraterrestrial reptilian so who who's in control of this which species um do we have an alliance uh with the several i heard we have an alliance with um anunnaki tall whites uh, grays and reptilians or some kind of agreement so can you give us kind of the backstory like who are these cast of characters that we're interacting with now to create these new agreements and then who who are the people going to get prosecuted who's the bad guys is the queen a bad guy uh, you know those type of things uh, okay well you know those are huge questions um you know, what right. i say is that you know up until up until the early <laughs> 20th century uh human history has been dominated by uh, the dark forces and you know, draconian reptilians, the archons, the chimera, they've been control. They've been in control of instit- banking institutions, of religious institutions, um, uh, of political institutions. Um, but what happened in the early 20th century was that there was a window where in, in Germany, uh, with Maria Orsic and her group, um, and of course with Nikola Tesla, and with uh, Giuliano Marconi, uh, all of those three people, these were, um, either they were Nordics themselves or they were deeply connected with Nordic extraterrestrials. So each one of them was a major source of this positive Nordic influence that was trying to help break the planet away from this dark control of the, of the kind of reptilian, draconian, chimera, archon, influence that goes back thousands of years. So so in the early twentieth century, you know, there was an intervention by, you know, call it the, the Nordics, the Galactic Federation, through the use of advanced technologies that would basically offer the opportunity for humans to have face to face meetings with uh, human looking extraterrestrials to help the planet break free of this dark control that had been there for thousands of years. Maria Orsic was the one that really kind of began. Well, Maria Orsic and Tesla and Marconi all began um, in the early 20th century having communications with extraterrestrials. Uh, Tesla and Marconi were doing it through radio through radio communication. Uh, Orsic was doing it through um, through uh, telepathy, and each one of them was able to establish connections with these Nordic groups. They were trying to give them information on, on how to introduce humanity to extraterrestrials. Uh, of course, people laughed at Tesla, people laughed at Marconi, dismissed them when they started talking about extraterrestrials. Um, so Orsic basically uh, had a different environment. She was doing this in, in Germany, in, in the Weimar Republic, and the German secret societies took her very seriously and began to support her and gave her resources, and so they began to build these real spacecraft. And so they really wanted to establish communications with the Nordic extraterrestrials, and so they were getting help. Um, But then in 1933, Hitler came to power, and he co-opted it. And at some point, you know, like attracts like, so Hitler gets contacted with uh, draconian extraterrestrials that say, well, you know, they're going to help Hitler... um, uh, get more destructive uh, weapons so that he could take over the planet because they supported, you know, his idea of establishing the Aryan master race. 
So Hitler gets corrupted and signs agreements, reaches agreements with the uh, draconian reptilian, and so that's when the whole thing started to go dark. And so as Hitler, once Hitler reached these agreements with the draconian, uh, while the Nordics still supported Orsic, they realized that she had lost influence, uh, that the German space program uh, hold that thought that we're at the commercial break. We'll, we'll come back and so we're going to be talking more about Maria Orsic and uh, how she lost control. We'll be back in five minutes. is evolving rapidly and advancing into a fifth dimensional consciousness. They are seeking peace with all cosmic cultures, which may mean that the Earth will be asked to join the prestigious Galactic Federation of Light Alliances. Please join Debbie West and Michael Hathaway on Lost Knowledge. Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Studio A for the latest breaking news on the Star Visitors' peaceful contact and the ongoing project of cleansing the Earth. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. Why am I here? You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision, which has led you inexorably here. You haven't answered my question. The Matrix is older than you know, as you are undoubtedly gathering the anomaly is systemic, creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equation. Choice. Problem is choice. Right here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Be here Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Private Eye Matrix Revealed with Monique Lassonde. Hello, my name is Mr. Rowe. I am the host of Reality Extraction. On Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, I utilize logic, intellect, and magic to methodically autonomize, vivisect, analyze, examine, study, scrutinize, and extract an essence of reality from a fog of illusion and confusion. You can find me on Studio B every Thursday at 1700 hours Pacific Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. No topic taboo, no subject too strange. I strive to take a neutral standpoint during the dissection of the topic at hand. That's Reality Extraction with Mr. Rowe on Revolution Radio.
This is Thomas, a.k.a. a mad painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. UFOs to government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free, but there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Is back, back, back. Schedule B on Revolution Radio every Saturday night, 6 to 8 p.m. You get outer space. You get honest answers, real researchers, truthful answers, and a place to engage with questions. Take part in the discussion. Revolution Radio on FreedomSlips.com hosts Collision Course every Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central. 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Aloha and welcome back to Stargate to the Cosmos on Revolution Radio. And I'm your host, Jana Carolison, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alexison. Our producer is Thomas Becker. And our guest today is Dr. Michael Sala. And before we get back to our show, I'd like to remind everybody to please go over to that donation button on revolution.radio and make your donation. Because we really need your donations. That helps us stay on the air. Uh, Mad Painter, where are we in our fundraising? Well, if I ever quit coughing on air, uh, it's twenty-two. <laughs> we need twenty-two fifty, and we got twenty-two eighty. That's the balance of uh, five seventy. We still need, and we only got what four days or three days. So we really need it. Come on, everybody! 
make your donation. Okay, cool. Okay, so, uh, Sash, you had a request of for Dr. Yeah, Saul I'll, to cover I, something. I, yes, I can. I can speak for myself uh, easily enough. There's there's two things, Michael, that uh, uh, interest me. First, you know, we were talking about how the CIA had become a power unto itself, run by uh, uh, reptilians ultimately, and, and Nazis and reptilians. Uh, and uh, when we had that so-called false missile attack. Uh, on Hawaii that was called, uh, oh, this must have been some mistake, you know, some nonsense like that. Um, it, it, uh, it turns out that a lot of evidence that you pointed out were pointing to the CIA owning their own submarine, placing it near North Korea, so that if the president wanted to either let the missile hit and take out uh, Hawaii or uh, uh, just use the fact that it was fired at Hawaii would be a causus belli and allow him to attack uh, North Korea. Uh, and uh, so, so, that, so that that's more about this covert CIA that, despite all the promises of it being reined in, seems to still be reigning on our parades. So that, that's one thing I, I wanted uh, to definitely follow up on, if you could say something about, about that. Uh, sure. Well, that was um, that occurred in January, uh, January 13 uh, of the, this year, and of course, you know, people got their uh, people living in Hawaii got an emergency alert saying that uh, a ballistic missile is incoming. Um, now, of course, uh, the re the research that I've done on that, um, and and this was something that I, I got from uh, a number of different sources. Um, and also people uh, that were, were familiar with uh, some of the events that have been covered up, um, you know, some of the, the groups. But basically what it boils down to was that, as, as you mentioned, a, a missile had been launched, a ballistic missile had been launched off the coast of North Korea um, to frame North Korea um, in an attack on Hawaii. And so it was a false flag attack. But the missile was shot down. This this was what interrupted those that were uh, behind the attack. It was that um, it was shot down uh, by a secret Air Force space program. And uh, what I found very interesting was that uh, one of the sources that has corroborated uh, that this was a false flag attack has been uh, the QAnon group, um, and I'm sure you know, your listeners are maybe familiar with some of that, that, that QAnon, not only did QAnon say that this was a false flag attack, but actually QAnon actually predicted uh, six days before the false flag attack, he actually, well, they made a prediction of a DEFCON 1 situation arising which would not be real. So this was six Six days before the, the missile or you know the missile alert, uh, QAnon referred to a DEFCON one situation that would not be real. And of course, six days later, um, you you actually have a DEFCON one situation, which was the United States being under impending nuclear attack. That's a DEFCON one situation. So you, then you have uh, one of the 
situations where a prediction by QAnon turned out to be real. Uh, who was behind the attack? It was actually uh, a CIA fleet uh, of uh, ships, um, including a uh, nuclear power, a nuclear a ballistic missile carrier or submarine that that launched this. So um, this is something that uh, you know I've talked about at length on my website, a whole bunch of articles and. Uh, you know, confirmation comes up again and again, and it's interesting that uh, you know because I've been following QAnon uh, since the beginning now, uh, since uh, November of 2017, uh, QAnon has made repeated references to this ballistic missile attack uh, that you know that what happened in Hawaii, uh, and basically suggesting that this is one of the things that is going to be disclosed that eventually people are going to learn that Hawaii was actually intended to be the trigger for a third world war, or at least a nuclear war involving the United States, North Korea, and possibly sucking in China and even Russia into that nuclear war. So this was a very serious uh, thing, and thankfully it was uh, preempted uh, by the Air Force secret space program shooting down this uh, this ballistic missile launched by this rogue CIA submarine. Wow. Did you hear about the, um, did you see the video uh, about the California Paradise fires? And they had the, um, in the clouds was one of the big gray cigar-shaped UFOs. It was very large. It was probably miles across, and it, it just comes, <laughs> it comes out of the cloud. Very clear about the fire. Was the was this fire? These fires are they orchestrated in some way? People were talking about that. Right. Well, um, I, I you know haven't put a lot of attention on that particular case, uh, but it's very consistent with what happened in Hawaii very recently with the volcano um, being uh, triggered, intentionally triggered to uh, create a kind of natural catastrophe. Um, in the United States, uh, in Hawaii in particular, generating uh, possibly a tsunami that would devastate uh, the, uh, the western regions of the United States. You know, because one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that the United States is a threat to the cabal. Uh, uh, that the US military and uh, people who embrace um, the Constitution and kind of like, uh, you know, American Firsters, you know, the, the whole kind of uh, make America great again movement, these are a threat to the deep state because they want to make the United States strong. They don't want the United States to kind of like be absorbed into a, uh, a new world order. Um, and, you know, you can be critical or you can be supportive of that. You know, I'm just trying to describe that, you know, this is why uh, these attacks are being organized on the United, in the United States by the deep state. So, you know, they did it in Hawaii. They've been doing it for years. Um, in, in California, you know, through a drought, you know, that was a, that was basically created through um, uh, kind of weather modifications where these artificial highs were produced in the Pacific Ocean just near the coast of California, so that would create a drought that would kind of uh, devastate uh, California agriculture. And so now with the wildfires, um, again, it's it's all designed to kind of like weaken California. And, and make and create chaos in the United States because 
uh, you know, the United States still has a tremendous power, a tremendous force and vitality. And if the United, if the deep state was ever to succeed in creating a one world order, it will only be on their terms, which would be to have a, a United States which is devastated. And I think that's why the uh, California wildfires have been occurring. And you know, there are telltale signs there of uh, kind of like directed energy weapons being used from these uh, space satellites that are controlled by the deep state. That, you know, just as the deep state brought down the Twin Towers using directed energy weapons and a World Trade Center number seven, uh, similarly, they can create, um, they can use these uh, directed energy weapons to create these fires in, uh, in California in, in, in particular areas. And, you know, there are many photos and you referred to you know, um, some of these, but you know, what really struck out for me was seeing some of these photos showing these devastated neighborhoods surrounded by green forests. And so you have to ask yourself, yeah. well, how, can a, how can a wildfire destroy oh, houses yeah. and, and, and not destroy the forests surrounding the houses? Well, a wildfire couldn't do it, but directed energy weapons could definitely. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Paradise is known as, as a place where the uh, Venusians particularly um, come in and out. That's one of, one of their portals. And I th you alluded to that uh, the volcanoes in uh, Hawaii and other places might be deliberately fracked in order to make cavities that uh, get the uh, volcanoes going. Did, did I read you right? Well, well that's right, yes. Uh, the Puna Geothermal Venture, um, that has been... Um, that that has been basically, you know, the equivalent, the functional equivalent of fracking. They call it geothermal fracking. And, and while you know, there's a slight difference in, in how they kind of drill underground, but, they, but basically, you know, they're pouring in, um, in, the, in the enhanced geothermal drilling, basically they're pouring in all of the liquids deep down into the rocks uh, at very high pressures, they're including all sorts of chemicals to the, the liquid, the steam that is, that is supposedly being recycled. But that goes deep down um, into the um, you know, thousands of feet under the ground. And what it does is that it destabilizes the, the rock structure underneath um, the, uh, the Puna region, which is where the uh, Puna Geothermal Venture was located. And what that did was that basically by weakening the underlying geology, it created a pathway for the lava to flow from the Kilauea volcano. So basically it drained. Because they had weakened the, uh, the soil and the geology underneath that region of Puna, just where the Ge Puna Geothermal Venture is located, they weakened it so much that the lava all flowed down from Kilauea volcano into the Puna region creating these fissures and this enormous lava outbreak, which broke all records. No other lava outbreak broke all records. So you have to, so this is a, an unusual event because, you know, there, there have been lava outbreaks before in the Kapoho region in the 1950s and the 1960s, but nothing on this scale. And you have to ask yourself, well, why, why was this lava outbreak so much more devastating than the previous one? Well, the difference is that the Puna Geothermal Venture, through enhanced fracking or enhanced geothermal uh, drilling, as they call it, 
uh, basically weakened the geology to create a pathway for all the lava to flow out of the Kilauea volcano into this region. And the intent was basically uh, to create earthquakes, and, and that, that, has been a moment, that has been kind of seen, all the earthquakes that was being generated as the lava drained out of Kilauea. Uh, but there was a kind of more sinister goal to this, was to destabilise the Helena fault system, especially the Helena right. slump, uh, which is kind of like this huge pali um, on the coast of, on the Puna coast, uh, adjacent to the Kilauea volcano. And if, and if a significant enough portion of that broke away, you could add um, a, an enormous tsunami being generated that would be like a thousand foot high that would engulf the Hawaiian islands. And by, the, and by the time that tsunami reached the Pacific West Coast, it would be like a hundred foot high, uh, traveling at, at, at kind of sub, you know, at about 600 miles an hour. So you can imagine what a 100 foot high tsunami traveling at 600 miles an hour would have done to the Pacific coast of the United States. And the, and the, and the goal of that would have been, as I said before, to basically uh, devastate the United States uh, economically, uh, militarily for, for decades to come so that the United States would not be a threat to the plans for the new world order to move forward and, and, and basically uh, create a new world uh, army where the United States military would basically be integrated, absorbed into this new world order uh, that would be run by the United Nations. And, you know, Tompkins was, I was talking to Tompkins, Hopkins, and there was a point where he was trying to get something across to all of us, and we weren't getting it. And he was, he was like, "You're just not getting it about the reptilians." And so I, I wish we could have had a further conversation. But uh, he was uh, basically indicating to me that there was some kind of major, uh, like that, uh, events going to happen, or that they're they are terraforming, they're changing our environment. They're uh, I don't know what their natural environment is, but apparently it's different than ours. Their their atmosphere is different. And so, what do you know about uh, this? Um, how did the reptilians get in charge? You said it was six thousand years ago, or the video said six thousand years ago. What what happened at that point, and who was in charge before the reptilians oh, came and took over? Okay, well, before the reptilians uh, came into power, you, you had Atlantis, and so Atlantis was a very advanced civilization, uh, kind of similar to the civilization we have today. Um, you know, like a post-industrial society uh, with all sorts of advanced technologies. They had their own secret space programs. You know, so a lot of the technology was kept from uh, the, the general public. But nevertheless, you know, they, they had developed a, a kind of like worldwide energy grid where using pyramid technologies to generate uh, the powerless transmission of electricity. So uh, in many ways, in some ways, they were more advanced than us. So they didn't have an electrical pyramids that uh, basically generated these electric these standing waves all over the planet where your transistor with your car or your, air, or your airplane could kind of like be wirelessly powered by this uh, global network of, of energy so, so the Atlanteans had that but um, you know they, they were basically uh, subverted by these uh, by the chimera by the archons by the draconian reptilians and so they, they were subverted, and eventually when the, when the Atlantean civilization collapsed 13,000 years ago, 
that's when the draconians gain their ascendancy. So basically, so for the last 13,000 years, uh, the draconians, uh, with the help of the archons, uh, have been basically running the show. But prior to that, you, know, you had the Atlanteans and kind of like more positive forces uh, running the planet. So now, now we're on the verge of that, of that kind of turning again. We are going to shift, and we're in the midst of that. We are in the midst of a shifting where our planet shifts from being a dark, reptilian, draconian, uh, archon-controlled world, where now it's going to be much more a world controlled by the light forces, where individuals have much more sovereignty, where we come into our individual power as sovereign individuals connected to the universe, connected to infinite intelligence, where we can channel, we can channel all of this, all of the truth, all of the cosmic knowledge directly through ourselves. And so it'll be like a, a, a spontaneous awakening for many. So it's not going to be just one person or one organization or one country in control. We're going to have this awakening of humanity where you're going to have millions and millions of sovereign individuals who are going to stand firm in their power. They're going to be anchored to the earth. They're going to be anchored to the, to the sun and be uh, expressing this, uh, this really uh, powerful knowledge and psychic powers that uh, kind of like equal or transcend even the powers of the military. So this is something we haven't seen for, for tens of thousands of years, but we are on the verge of that happening again. So even the power of the U.S. military is going to be eclipsed. I think the U.S. military think that, well, kind of once they get the power of the deep state, once they remove the power of the deep state, then, you know, uh, the U.S. military are going to be in the uh, control. No, no, Gaia is going to go far beyond that. Yeah, we work with a lot of experiencers at the conference. We had, I don't know, 20 or 30 uh, people that came out of the closet and were speaking out about being experiencers. So we have everything going from, you know, dark experiences in the secret space program where they're abducted out of their beds um, to, you know, people that are ambassadors on ships and they know who they are and they're, they're hybrids, they're extraterrestrials, their souls originate from other spheres of influence. So that's what we had at the conference. And so... Um, when, when I was a child, I was very aligned with um, Star Trek. And I was so excited when that came forth because until that point, I always thought, uh, who left me on this planet and will they please take me back? So what what's going on with the Federation? I've been, as an experiencer, I've been before these huge meetings and they, they call themselves the Federations. Uh, that's been invoked before. Uh, who, who is this Federation? How are they organized? What's their role in this... Um, forthcoming agenda? Well, uh, very interesting. The, the Galactic Federation um, is an association of highly advanced extraterrestrial civilizations who for tens of thousands of years have uh, formed these councils where they would basically um, intervene to help promote the uh, spread and the, the growth in kind of cosmic knowledge, cosmic awareness, protect uh, especially uh, any, any world that was in alignment with the values of the Galactic Federation um, in terms of uh, helping promote cosmic awareness, cosmic oneness. Uh, the law of one seems to be uh, a common ingredient of the Galactic Federation 
where basically you have this awareness of uh, universal oneness. Um, and so that, that transcends race, that transcends uh, cultures, that transcends religions, because when you recognize that we are one, it doesn't matter what racial or extraterrestrial group or religious group you come from, you know, it's all about recognizing that oneness. So the Galactic Federation has been kind of like at the forefront of promoting those kinds of values, using advanced uh, technologies, space programs. Um, some of the people that uh, have been working most closely with the Galactic Federation are those like um, uh, Alex Collier, who uh, is a good friend of mine, who I've met a few times, and we actually had him over in Hawaii uh, several times to give talks. And uh, Alex uh, spoke at length about um, you know, one, one group that was a key part of the Galactic Federation. He called it the Andromeda Council. And, and basically, they were trying to promote uh, this cosmic awareness, trying to expose the corruption and the uh, the kind of like uh, dark activities of groups like the Draconians, of groups like you know Greys that are doing abductions and all of these things. So, so you know, generally speaking, I would say the Galactic Federation is an association of extraterrestrial civilizations that are promoting uh, kind of. Uh, uh, human freedom and cosmic oneness around the galaxy and universally, and um, and that they have been opposed to all kinds of imperial hierarchical systems, such as the kind of draconian imperial uh, mindset. Sash, your turn. Uh, I, I, let me. I just love what you said. It was really fascinating, um, and I, I feel um, inspired. Um, a, a, a something I'm sort of interested in is the a difference between the program of the Admiralty and the program of the Air Force, and how they, uh, you know, are. What I got is that some of them are kind. One of them is kinder than the other. Could you rap about that a bit? Right. Well, um, the Air Force, um, basically, uh, the Air Force uh, was part, that part of the U.S. military-industrial complex that worked most closely with the, uh, with the Greys and the Reptilians and the Germans. So the U.S. Air Force was heavily, very heavily involved in all sorts of agreements uh, in order to, to get technology uh, from these groups. So the Air Force kind of like joined the, you know, the dark side, if you like, to, to learn what, you know, what kind of technologies they had so that the Air Force could develop the secret space program. And so the Air Force kind of did what they had to do um, to do that. And, uh, you know, many of the things that they've done are, are dark. I don't want to kind of underestimate that. You know, they, they've done some pretty dark things. And, uh, um, yeah, there was an episode of Cosmic Disclosure where Corey Good and Emery Smith talked about how the um, Air Force and the, uh, the cabal, the deep state, were involved in kind of like um, uh, interrogating and torturing uh, captured uh, human-looking extraterrestrials. So, you know, these are extraterrestrials that are here 
to promote love and human con you know expansion of human consciousness and cosmic unity and so forth. So very kind of peace loving and human and, and very kind of uh, uplifting value systems. So these extraterrestrials were being apprehended by the by the deep state and the Air Force was playing a role in all of that um, up until recently because uh, more recently the Air Force has basically realised that uh, they were tricked. And and the, and and one of the uh, one of the key things that led to this was the Air Force's realization that the Navy had its own secret space program that was much more advanced than the Air Force. And the reason that the Navy got so far ahead was that the Navy, uh, from the beginning, began working with the uh, with the uh, human-looking extraterrestrials, uh, with the Nordics, um, and. Uh, so the Navy kind of kept away, kept the distance from the Germans and from the reptilians and the grey extraterrestrials. And the Navy concentrated on finding any Nordic extraterrestrial groups that were willing to help the Navy develop advanced technologies and, and develop a space program uh, that could one day basically help uh, human civilization join the um, galactic community, join the Galactic Federation. And so a group of, of human-looking extraterrestrials uh, helped the Navy in this process. And so uh, William Tompkins talked about this. He talked about these human-looking extraterrestrials that infiltrated various companies uh, to help the Navy develop um, these uh, space groups that would eventually become the backbone of, um, of the human or Earth's involvement in the Galactic Federation. And so that's what's happened. So right now, the Navy has developed a very highly advanced secret space program that is working with the Galactic Federation. Uh, but, the, but this Navy space program um, is kind of like on the margins of the Earth's power matrix. It, it doesn't have that much say um, because the deep state, the cabal, uh, the, the German secret space program uh, and the Air Force and other groups up until recently have uh, been in control. But that's all changed uh, with the kind of events that Corey Gould has been describing since around 2014, 2015, uh, with this quarantine going into effect um, and, and the kind of Navy secret space program becoming more exposed and the Air Force learning about this and the Air Force realising that it's better for them to work with the Navy, work with the uh, Nordic extraterrestrials, then clean up their act. And so that's what's happened. And, um, and so that's why the Air Force actually took a key role and worked with the Navy uh, and worked with uh, the Nordic extraterrestrials and stopped that attack against Hawaii. And so the, the Air Force now are on the side of the angels. And, and I think that uh, we're going to have very, very positive disclosures in the future. So, you know, I, I think we can be really very optimistic um, that we are going to witness incredible disclosures happening because those that are resisting the disclosures are fewer and fewer. They're losing their power all the time. And these major institutions like the US Air Force have defected from the deep state. And now they're working with the Nordics. They're working with the, with the Navy, uh, with the Secret Space Program Alliance. And so... Um, so I think we're going to have really positive changes happening. Oh, thank you. you know, I, uh, 
I like to think that we're we're more than just a bunch of monkeys on a blue spinning uh, ball, and uh, and rather than just thinking of us as sort of this, uh, the these these grubs that met, might be able to get civilized, I think we're special. I think we have uh, uh, that we are dynamic. In, inventive, amazing species, and we have a hell of a lot to offer to whoever these other people are, too. We don't have to crawl. That's what I think. Yeah. So what form will this um, come about? We were playing with that at the conference, like, uh, you know, how, how are they going to reveal this to humanity? They're worried about people, you know, suiciding. That, that's, of course, been a concern for centuries, and um, I think people will just get over it. They got over it. There's no Santa Claus, right? But what's this look like? This disclosure <laughs> when they finally, <laughs> when they finally tell us like what's going on. What do you? How do you see it coming about? Or have you already? Are you on the inside track of how they're going to do it? How will they do this? Well, there's, Any ideas? Well, you know, there's, a, okay, there's a number of levels here. You know, I think politically. The, the political aspect is going to follow the, the mass consciousness. What's going to happen is there's going to be a mass awakening where people, like, it'll be like they just understand the 100 monkey effect goes, you know, 100 monkey effect goes, happens. That basically people wake up one day and realize that, hey, you know, that we really are being visited by extraterrestrials. All of this, all of these stories about secret space programs is real and that, uh, um, and, and that there is this kind of uh, underlying oneness that undergirds everything. Because the, the, the main way in which the cabal, the deep state, has been successful in keeping people in the dark is by manipulating us in terms of, uh, you know, divide and conquer. So you get kind of liberal progressives fighting against, you know, um, you know, the Trumpers or the Make America Great movement. And so you, you have all of these kind of manufactured culture clashes uh, and that keeps communities uh, divided and so people are fighting against each other. But what's, what's happening behind the scenes is that the foundation has been set for people awakening to this unity, to this oneness that underlies us all. And, and once people wake up to that, and that is happening, that is spreading, very, very quickly, once people wake up to that, then they're going to understand that we are not alone, extraterrestrials are here, and that people have been talk that have been talking about this for decades uh, have been telling the truth, and that they've been unfairly ridiculed and victimised by the, by the mass media. So I think this is what we are, are going to be witnessing. It's going to be a mass awakening. And people are just kind of intuitively get it. You know, like this is one of the things I've been watching very closely with uh, Corey Good. Is that Corey Good? You know, he's not an individual. Uh, he is like uh, he is like the fulcrum for an awakening. He is he is channeling uh, a lot of energy uh, coming from this kind of you know call it the sphere being alliance call it this kind of cosmic unity, but he is channeling that, you know, through his account. And people listen to Corey Good, and all of a sudden, you know, while they can't explain it, they realize that what he's saying is is true. Even though there's not evidence, you know, the sort of thing people demand, they realize it's true. So, you know, the, the Corey Good is in the midst of a phenomenon, and that's why there's been so much pushback, so much 
kind of negativity thrown his way by, by many groups. Okay. So, um, so what's, yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out what, what's next for Corey, because Corey's been leading this, and there's other people coming out, and what I'd like to see is, like, everybody come together and connect the dots and put the pieces of the puzzle out there and kind of have a, at least an inner circle disclosure that we have at these conferences. That was my intention with the conference, to give everybody a voice. And it was just amazing. There were so many, because it was so easy for people to tell their stories, people started telling their stories. It was like almost everybody had something. Everybody had some kind of strange phenomenon, strange encounter. And a lot of people, you know, they felt, it was like me too. They felt like, okay, now I can talk about yeah, you know, I was taken. I was part of the program. It was just an amazing phenomenon, and I'd like to see more of it. Um, so what's the next step to get us enlisted in the process? Instead of it being, you know, somebody that's... It, it's like we keep putting our power to other people. Like you were saying, that we're going to be uh, individually empowered. How can our listeners, how can people out there come into their own sovereign abilities and wake up become conscious and empowered and you know move out of the role of victim into an empowered individual that can do something about it i think it's any ideas uh, yeah i think it's just happening um by people just learning or wanting to find the truth being open to the truth and finding it wherever they need to find it and being awakened to that and as they do get awakened to the truth, they, they immediately kind of connect to the cosmic all uh, or to this kind of uh, this underlying oneness that pervades everything. And as they do that, then they're able to kind of like uh, influence the mass consciousness so that the mass consciousness gets ready to do away with all of this divisiveness uh, that has been used by the dark forces to basically create conflict and, and basically uh, keep us all divided for, for millennia, that as, in, as sovereign individuals, as we come into our power, understand that we are kind of like physical embodiments of infinite intelligence residing on Earth, that as we give expression to that through our words, through our deeds, um, through whatever we do, that we are spreading that energy. So everyone is doing this in their own way. So, you know, you don't have to be a follower of Corey Good to do it. You know, he's just one source mm -hmm. doing it. There are many other ways of doing it. Um, but, but certainly, I think that's, that's something everyone can do. And, um, and, and we, but we need to be discerning. I mean, there, there is a kind of like, um, you know, I, I think we just can't accept Everything you know, we we got we still have to be discerning because you know there are those out there that try to obfuscate and deceive and mislead us. So uh, some people have been influenced um, in ways that are designed to kind of mislead and confuse. But even there, you know, even people that may have been implanted with false memories, where they're telling um, where they're telling stories that they think are real but are really being implanted into them, even they can be instruments for the truth. So even though the dark forces 
you know, might implant memories into people, get them to go to conferences and say, hey, this is what happened to me, and a person can be intentionally, uh, with good intentions, be spreading information that may be implanted into them. Even in cases like that, you know, they can be performing a higher service because they are opening people up to information, um, and then that's really the important thing. Sasha. Yes, yes, I have a few things. Uh, yeah, I, I before I was basically asking, you know, or, or saying, uh, I think that you know we we are special in as much as we have unique uh, lights to shine. And so, with a question coming the other way, is what do we have to offer now? What we've learned from Randy Kramer and others is that uh, extraterrestrials like our clothes for the baby clothes because they're usually bigger and they like our beer and they, they take these gigantic truckloads of the beer all the time. Now, uh, so I, 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 I would, I know that we have what we do have to offer is passion, originality, the ability to think out of the box, all kinds of really groovy things. And so I just wonder, what is there more that they value besides our beer and baby clothes? Um, I'm sorry, uh, I, I didn't quite get that. So, so what exactly is the yeah, question? Okay. So different people have said what the extraterrestrials want of the humans that uh, they abduct or that they uh, recruit is they, they want uh, bodies to cyborg. They want uh, bodies to sell as slaves for sex and sometimes for food. Uh, they, they want people that uh, have technical skills uh, and they want us in psychic trade, psychic ability. In trade, they want beer, and they want they like clothes. Beer, <laughs> right? So, like when we end up, uh, apparently, commerce is something that uh, unites different species. We can trade. That's one. That, that's something that was conveyed in Star Trek, and it appears to be true, at least from the people that are talking about you know what's the value of all this and and that's what keeps the um the trade routes open is that people like being species like to trade and that seems to be true here on the earth people like to trade so um what is your question honey that what what value what value what do we what bring to the table what does humanity bring that, to the table and not just that we're trade with us yeah, not just that we're food or, or body parts, but I think, you know, it's a joke, but I think we're special. And I would like some feedback on what you think about that, Michael. Okay. Um, well, I know that um, extraterrestrials value human creativity, uh, that we, because of our incredible diversity on this planet, are able to create things that um, is way beyond anything that many extraterrestrial cultures have been able to create themselves. So, you know, for example, music, you know, like uh, that, that's one of the things that I remember Alex Collier talking about. He said that um, the, the Andromedans kind of like really uh, were amazed at the human capacity to create music because he said for the Andromedan civilization, uh, music is a passive process where, you know, they listen to the music of the spheres, 
and they kind of like translate that into some in some way or give expression to that music of the spheres. Whereas uh, humans are able to tap into their own inner creativity to come up with something completely new, and that that is that is something that many traditional cultures don't have. So I think uh, human creativity um, is is definitely. Uh, something that many extraterrestrial civilizations highly value. I think the human genome, because we have, um, again, Alex talked about 22 different um, uh, extraterrestrial civilizations have uh, intervened in terms of placing their genetics into the human experiment on Earth. Um, and so this is this is something that is quite unique because in other civilizations around the the galaxy you know you have a you know one particular extraterrestrial group you know whether it's the Pleiadians or Syrians or the Andromedans but you have the kind of genetics that belong to that particular group with a little bit of variation depending on you know race and color and so forth but on earth you have you know 22 different extraterrestrial civilizations bringing in this incredible diversity of genetics, so that that is something that also makes us uh, quite unique. And I, I think, and uh, Alex Collier said that uh, the Andromedans basically look at us in awe because we have this incredible diversity. It enables us to do things and to go places that many other extraterrestrials can't. That they that they don't have that kind of ability. So we can literally open up these stargates, these wormholes into dimensions. Uh, we can unlock the, the hidden mysteries of the builder race technologies that go back millions or even billions of years that humanity has that ability to do that. And so that's why the extraterrestrials are here on mass to look at us, to see what we're doing. Are we going to get down the path of establishing a galactic tyranny, uh, which which is what Alex Collier said the Andromedans were very worried about, or are we going to go down the path of establishing uh, these, uh, the, you know, basically a renewal or awakening of the Patal, which is basically sovereign, empowered individuals that are in touch with uh, humanity's ancient heritage in touch with the builder race technologies, in touch with uh, the infinite intelligence that basically guides all life and all events in the, in the multiverses, um, that is going to be a force for the restoration of order and oneness and, and all positive values in the universe. That we can go either way. And so this is why we have this incredible balance on the Earth, where you have both the dark forces and the light forces here on mass, watching and trying to influence things, but really at the end of the day, it's going to be us as a species that decides where we're going to go. Are we going to go down the dark path or are we going to go down the light path? And what's become clear over the last few years is that collectively we've decided to go down the light path and the dark forces are fighting desperately to stop that from happening, but they're losing and very soon we are going to have an awakening on this planet 
which is going to be something that is going to be beyond people's wildest dreams. Yeah, I had somebody uh, tell, tell us on one of our shows that why we're so valuable is because we have the metagene. And the metagene resulted after doing all these experiments, we've been hybridized and mixed and matched with different DNA for, for many generations by many species. But accidentally, this metagene was created, and it basically allows humans to manifest things. You know, it's like magic. We can just like think things into being. And so that's been repressed because they, you know, they don't want to... Um, abuse that but that's why the the governments are looking for people that have this metagene and because they have extreme abilities like psychic abilities and um you know they can move things with their mind and all kinds of stuff like that have you heard about the metagene well that's kind of very similar to what uh, alex collier was, was saying about the 22 different extraterrestrial civilizations uh, basically infusing us with their genetics and and trying to create a particular physical receptacle that would be suitable for the energies of the patal to come through. So that's kind of like a, another way of expressing this, this notion that there is within us a kind of metagene where we could give expression to these uh, abilities like you know, telepathy, telekinesis, teleportation, time travel, that we are physically, we can become like Jedi. So this is beyond mm -hmm. Star Trek. This is we're talking about Star Wars and the Jedi Knights. That we, as this awakened humans, we would be the uh, we could establish this kind of like Jedi Knights type culture where you have these humans that are awakened with this with these metagenes that can do all sorts of things, and we will be the ones that will ensure order and uh, and kind of like justice. In the galaxy, it's not going to be done through uh, military might. It's going to be done through those who are in touch with infinite intelligence that are connected with the knowledge of the ancestors, with the builder races, and are aware of the, the future of uh, human destiny. And so, I think that is where we are going. And so, yeah, I, I agree that there is a kind of metagene unfolding here. Okay, Sasha, and then we're running, we're getting towards the end of the show, so uh, we can start to begin to wrap this up. Is there, uh, I want to say one more thing, is there anything else that you want to reveal about this article that you wrote recently about Majestic, um, what was that called? Above Majestic well, Producer Reveals Secret Space Program. Uh, yeah, like, like my um, contribution to that was uh, towards the end where I talked about um, the importance of uh, mass movements in, in mobilizing people in getting out there. Because, you know, this is, this is the only way in which societies change, is, is when people embrace new ideas. So, you know, when you have a new idea coming into place, you know, it can, it can overturn uh, institutions and ways of thinking that have been around for thousands of years. So, you know, up until the, the 16th century, you know, the absolute right of kings, you know, the, the absolute monarchs was something that had been around for thousands of years. People couldn't conceive of this idea of 
you know, ruled by the people of democracy, that, you know, absolute kings have been around for thousands of years. But then, you know, within a generation, it was gone. All of a sudden, people had democracy. Uh, similarly with abolition, you know, overturning slavery. Slavery had been around for thousands of years, and so on and so on. And so now, you know, we, we are now at this kind of like point in our history where we have to overcome this idea of um, kind of like... Uh, keeping advanced technologies for the benefit of the few under, under these kind of rubrics of national security. So we have to overcome that and have all of these advanced technologies shared because it's only when we can share these advanced technologies of, you know, um, being able to develop, uh, you know, uh, teleportation, being able to develop spacecraft, uh, free energy devices, all of these things. Once these technologies are released, then we as sovereign individuals can step into our true power. Because until we do that, until we release these technologies, if any one of us starts to exhibit these abilities of sovereign power, you know, powers of the Jedi Knights, for example, we are going to be attacked by the deep state and, you know, we'll be assassinated. So in order to bring about a mass awakening, for this kind of metagene, for this kind of for this kind of patal culture to come into fruition, we have to release all of these advanced technologies. So then, the deep state will not be able to stop individuals severing, um, moving into their sovereign mastery, being able to exhibit these abilities, which are our God-given right to being sovereign individuals on the planet which is, you know, that, this is one of the things Alex Collier again referred to again and again, was that, you know, w when we are born on this planet, we are connected to Gaia, we are connected to the sun, and so we are sovereign individuals on this planet. And no one, whether we're talking about extraterrestrials, whether we're talking about the deep state, whether we're talking about archons, whether we're talking about the US military, no one can come in and stop us from exhibiting our God-given right to express our connection to Gaia, to the sun, and all that goes with that expression. So let's um, share a little bit about what kind of technologies await us, because we've heard all kinds of things, that we have uh, cures for all diseases and almost physical immortality. Um, what kind of technologies await us with disclosure? Well, the first ones that will come out will be free energy technologies and uh, alternative health or new healing technologies. So uh, immediately the fossil fuel industry and the pharmaceutical industry will just collapse overnight because there are technologies uh, for healing which uses uh, electromagnetics, which, uh, which is able to use kind of like holographic healing and uses photonic light healing, uh, which is able to kind of like identify uh, the resonant frequencies in the body um, and to be able to heal all illnesses. So we're not talking about treatment, we're talking about curing all illnesses. Mm -hmm. So this will be something that is released uh, pretty quickly. That'll be the first wave, along with um, new energies or alternative, pardon me, uh, free energy technologies where, you know, we can generate power from a local power generator, kind of like what, what Tesla had in mind um, or through some kind of... Um, global standing wave system where we will have wireless TV, you know, 
we will have wireless TVs, our wireless uh, transistor you know, radios, our wireless phones. You know, won't just be connected to a wireless system to the cloud. They'll be also connected to the power system of the cloud. So right now, your your device, your phone, your computer, if you're connected to the cloud, it'll be the same thing. But now, you'll be rather than your device being connected to a power source um, in uh, at your home, it'll be connected to the power grid in the cloud. So all of our devices will be powered in that way. So that'll be a revolution in itself. And then we're talking about the next wave of technologies where we're talking about, you know, star dates and teleportation and so forth uh, and space travel and that's going to be really exciting as well. Well, last minute, uh, tell us about your website and how to reach you. Uh, Exopolitics.org. Uh, that's where I put up all my articles. Uh, they, they are made available for free. I have a series of secret space program books which have been uh, number one bestsellers on Amazon. So if you haven't had a look at those, then just go to, uh, go to my website or go to Amazon.com and look up my name. And I want to thank you, Janet, Sasha, for having me on your show. Thank you so much, Dr. Sala. It's been a divine yeah, issue. Thank, thank you, listeners. Aloha, love, and blessings. Aloha. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener-supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free, but there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you. 
for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. <laughs>